Hey there, this is Jay Blake Fischera of the Score to Death Radio and Saturday Night Movie Sleepover Podcasts. And I'm also the author of the Score to Death book series. With the Score to Death books, I explored the craft of creating horror film music through detailed interviews with many of the genre's greatest composers. And now I am turning the books into a documentary. Production is already underway, but we really have only just begun. If you're listening to this between September 27th and November 1st of 2022, you can help make the definitive documentary about horror film music a reality. And while you're at it, also pick up some very cool tier rewards. So if you love horror movies and or film music, head over to Kickstarter and support Score to Death, the dark art of scary movie music. And keep up with the film's progress on social media by following at Score to Death or at scoretodeath.com. Hey everyone, welcome to The Pod and the Pendulum, the horror movie podcast covering all the franchises, one movie in one episode at a time. I'm your host, Mike Snoonian, and folks, it's that time of year. There is a chill in the air. The decorations are out. It gets dark a little earlier. There's a ton of spooky stuff everywhere you go. McDonald's is bringing back the haunted Happy Meal Pails. It is Spooktober, everybody, and it is the greatest time of year. And what better way to celebrate than putting another franchise into the ground? We are burying the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise tonight after spending the all summer on it. So it's been a journey with these nine movies. But I am not here alone. I've got my road tripping buddies with me. Sit in shotgun from the Movies for Life podcast, Brian Kuyper. Brian, how are we? Yeah, good to be back. Um, this is now me appearing on every episode titled The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Wow. So, I, I mean, I... I could not pass this up. So um, all three episodes that are titled Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I have been on it. So that's exciting to me. We need to alert Ripley's yeah. is what we need to do. <laughs> yeah, you know, it it's that. some kind of record going on here. Um, <laughs> believe it or not, yeah, friends. I, and I don't believe it. So. Sitting in the back of the van asking for more leg room. And trying to turn it to a shagging wagon from the disenfranchised <laughs> podcast, Stephen Foxworthy. Stephen, how are we? Doing great, doing great, Mike. Happy to be here. Happy to be along for the ride. Um, if if this van's a rocking, don't come a knocking. That's all oh, I have I'm, to I'm say. I'm jumping in. I'm coming in. <laughs> hey kids, what's everybody up to? Um, 
More the merrier, I suppose. More the merrier. All right. Also joining us back again. Always a pleasure to talk to this person. Uh, she's. I think you've been on like more than most guests, more than most of our special guests. And we also had you on psychoanalysis as well. I feel like, like it's because you need to find someone who's going to love unpopular movies and I'm that person. <laughs> It's like if if this was like the animal shelter, you would be the person that would be pleading the case for the ugly, misshapen cats, <laughs> the older cats, like adopt it. Worst case, it'll make a great stew, you know, like absolutely. Oh, my no. word. So and, on, and why do I bring up food? Well, she does not cook cats on this site or show. I want to clear that up, but joining us from uh, the Final Girls Feast podcast, as well as Geeks Who Eat, the site that blends fine dining and pop culture, Sarah Stubbs. Sarah, how are we? I am good and ready to defend. I, I've, got, I've got my boxing gloves on. I've got my Leatherface 2022 shirt on. I'm good to go. And, and Sarah, you turned me around on... House of a Thousand Corpses when you guested for us on with the Psychoanalysis podcast. Because that is a movie that I literally watched every year for like five years thinking, this will be the time I like it. And every year, <laughs> I would tap out at the same point. But this year, before we talked about it, I rewatch it. And maybe he was watching it with my daughter who was like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I'm like, all right, that's not a bad thing. Uh, I started to really enjoy it. And then hearing you talk about that movie uh, as well, like made me appreciate more what it was going for. So let's see if you can turn around the skeptics and I'm not going to say who they are. We'll let you decide audience (laughs) who the skeptics are when it comes to 2022's the Netflix chainsaw massacre. I mean, the Texas chainsaw massacre massacre Netflix's so, chainsaw massacre yes oh my goodness <laughs> so now i'm having like visions of mike flanagan directing right. a texas chainsaw <laughs> massacre and it's just like leatherface delivering a 20 minute soliloquy and then crying i could get into um, that <laughs> it would, you know actually i feel like it would fit with the franchise you think i i have feelings i have leatherface feelings okay. All I right. can't wait to hear all about those, Sarah. Well, I, Sarah, I, tell you what. It. Why don't you kick us off? Let's before we dive into the background of the movie, give us let's talk about our initial impressions of this one. So, Sarah, give us your initial thoughts about this movie and then the franchise as a whole. Okay. So, I watched this when it came out. Like I was I was ready. I'm I am a Leatherface lover. I forever will defend the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. As a franchise, as a whole, even though there are two movies that I don't care for, one of which is a very popular one. Um, the second one? Yep. I am wow. not. I am anti-number two. But that is not what we're here to talk about. Okay. So, um, but I, you know, this one, it has its flaws. I do not think that this is a perfect film by any means. It, it has some moments that are kind of like, eh. But as a whole... I do like what they're doing with this, and I do think that they, the throwbacks to the original, both in messaging and moments. Also, there's a Leatherface Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 throwback in this movie that I absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. And so I I think that 
given what they had to work with and how much like there was a lot of directorial changes and I feel like I feel like that always dooms that kind of always dooms a movie I and I know that somebody else I think said that in the notes or maybe I've talked to somebody else about it but I feel like for what this was it's a really good entry into the franchise Mm -hmm. and worth watching and not at all worth the hate that it receives yeah we'll definitely talk about that and how about this this franchise as a whole because you were we were talking off air how you feel like this might be your favorite this series is, as a whole this is definitely one of my higher rated franchises i love it's my favorite slasher unequivocally mm-hmm. and i think that that's because leatherface is almost a sympathetic character mm-hmm. like after the first film especially each film you progressively feel more for Leatherface as a character. And I really like that. Like there's a lot to be said about, you know, having your life turned upside down constantly and, you know, people coming into your home, people trying to change you. And I I feel like Leatherface is sometimes like the misunderstood monster. And this movie does a really great job at showing that. Also, uh, Texas Chainsaw 3D does a really phenomenal job with that as well. But I, so for me, I've always, I've always felt sort of sympathetic to Leatherface. Mm-hmm. And I like that about this franchise. Like, you don't feel bad for Freddy Krueger. You don't feel bad for Jason Voorhees, really. Like, Pat, at a certain point, you stop feeling bad for Jason, I guess mm-hmm. you should, I would say. Jason Voorhees' is suburban dad who just is like, God damn it, these kids. You know, <laughs> like that's the energy that Jason brings with each successive movie. Lawn. But yeah. Like, so even like... how he walks. Like you watch Richard Brooker walk <laughs> in part three, and he totally has that dad who's been told to take out the trash and rake leaves, and all he wants to do is watch <laughs> ah, football. Well, maybe then it's when Kane Hodder takes over and he becomes truly a villain that we stop mm-hmm. feeling any sort of sympathy for maybe. Jason. But like maybe. Leatherface, I feel like there's always been an attempt to kind of make you feel bad for him a little bit before, you know, before he goes on his killing rampage. Mm-hmm. And I, I like that. Like, I like that it's different. Like, it doesn't feel like just another slasher. And, you know, I, I, I have a soft spot for Cannibal films yeah. so yeah you know i i agree with a lot of what you're saying there and i think we're going to talk more about leatherface as a sympathetic character in this movie um and as a whole like when we get into the movie itself so um to counterbalance all that positivity steven um so i i also watched this one when it came out this was the culmination of my um my franchise watch through of the texas chainsaw massacre films i Decided, hey, there's a new one of these coming out. I might as well watch this franchise. We were covering uh, one of the entries on our one of our Patreon shows over at Disenfranchised. Um, so I was like, why not just watch the whole franchise and and kind of see what it's about and how it pans out. Um, unlike Sarah, I I only like two movies in this franchise, and one of them is two. I two is I think a, an unmitigated masterpiece. As I said. On this very podcast, on the episode that Mike and I recorded on on Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. So um, I, I feel like I went into this with a somewhat open mind. I was I had, I had read some things about it on the Internet, but I'm not 
the kind of person who's going to make a snap judgment based on what I saw or what I see online. Rather, I'd rather let the movie speak for itself. So I'm watching this movie and I'm like, I there are things I like. There are things I don't. There are things that I like. I was fairly mid on it right up until literally the last shot of the film. And I that that kind of soured me on the on the experience overall. So um, I'm I'm anxious to hear your your defenses. and uh, I mean, yeah, like the franchise as a whole, I think I'm, I'm kind of mid to, to low on with the exception of those first couple of movies. This just is not my my cup of tea when it comes to horror movies mm-hmm. quite a bit. Um, s- some of the reasons that you cited for the reasons that you love it are some of the reasons why I, I don't care for it, which is fine. We can disagree and have different tastes and still be cordial and 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 be friends. No, even. Um, nope. Hey, hey, not allowed. <laughs> I think it depends on how much you crap on cannibalism. Oh no, I'm I'm fine with cannibalism. Okay, then we're fine. <laughs> Wait yeah. a minute. Best so line. cannibalism is okay, uh, but eating kittens. Yes, that's that. Mike, that's, that's a line I'm, in the sand. I am pro human death and horror. I am not pro animal death and horror. Okay, there there is a difference. Oh, I thought you just meant in real life. I thought we were talking about <laughs> real. No, I mean, I, I, there's some patron level to like to eat <laughs> where it's like how to permit how to make a long pig. It's it's you know? it's the Hannibal Lecter tier is what okay. it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but no, I mean, ideas. No, I'm, I'm fine with cannibalism and horror. I like think my first my favorite entries in this franchise are the first two, which I would say lean very heavily into the cannibalism. Um, so so that's that's not the, my problem with the franchise. It's I think um, some of the things that it. It, it some of the ways in which the themes become kind of murky and, and muddled and um, messy over the over the course of the franchise uh, for mm. me. And I think this film is in a lot of ways a perfect encapsulation of some of those murkier, messier elements that I that I don't really care for. I would still put this I I wouldn't put this dead last in my ranking by any stretch of the imagination, but it it it's probably somewhere in the middle, if I'm being really honest, okay. of my overall rankings in the franchise. Brian, how about yourself? Okay, well, um, unlike many people I saw on Twitter, I did not do a whole franchise watch through of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre before watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 22. Um, nor am I doing that with Hellraiser. Sorry, just not gonna. Oh, I, I'll <laughs> tell listeners right now: there's no chance we're ever covering covering Hellraiser as a franchise. Oh, Damn it! I was wanting to be on that Bloodline episode. Yeah, my husband would have. Jumped on that immediately for you. Yeah. Like he's he is a diehard supporter of Hellraiser. I yeah. I watched them all for him. Like yeah, um, like that's love over the summer. That, I because I had only seen can, the first two, so I did the whole franchise. We did it in a weekend. Yeah, you can get a no fault divorce in at least six states <laughs> if your subje- if your spouse subjects you to watching all of the Hellraiser. That's all you have to say is I like did... I had to watch Hellraiser four through Nine. part thirty. Okay, so I will say that I did discover that three is my favorite Hellraiser, and mm-hmm. that I really loved Hellworld. Yeah, but I'll for listeners that are like <laughs> so you're holding on that we're going to cover Hellraiser as a franchise Henry someday, Cavill. like yeah. ain't happening. I, I in fact, okay, so bring us back to Texas Chainsaw. I remember everyone. <laughs> Everyone was posting their Texas Chainsaw rankings, you know, before this came out. And I did mine, and I posted the picture of the first movie, and that was it. This is my Texas Chainsaw ranking. And um, because... I think I like that tweet. Huh? 
I think I liked I, that I, tweet. I, I, I think you might have. I mean, a lot of people came at me for that one. I didn't, as I recall, <laughs> or didn't respond. Really? People on the internet came at you for having an opinion yeah, on something? because yeah, That never happens. Because I have always been kind of of the opinion that Texas Chainsaw is sort of a one-movie franchise. <laughs> um, however... <laughs> However, My heart is breaking know, on I'm every sorry. level right now. However. Every level. And and one of the people who responded was Jerry Smith, former uh, co-host of this show. And he said, and he had seen the movie. He'd seen the new one. He said, you might be adding another one to that list. And I was like, okay, okay. So I went in with a pretty open mind and, and I liked it. I had a good time with this one, um, even though there are things about it that, you know, I think we're going to talk about that don't work very well um but there's a lot overall I, I i liked it a lot more um and i'm giving two a second shot just for you steven mm-hmm. and we talked about this when we recorded last night for disenfranchise uh i went and yes. bought that new vinegar syndrome chainsaw 2 uh 4k um which i still need to yeah do. um so i i'm i just have always struggled with this movie past the this series past the first one um so and if you've listened to the remake episode i thought i was gonna like it more um after some time away but that was not the case uh and i've seen them all except for the beginning that's the only one i haven't seen um but uh i've mike kind of told me if you didn't like the remake i really don't think you're gonna like the beginning (laughs) Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah. So, so I just, um, but I had, so I was kind of pleasantly surprised by this movie uh, that I liked it as much as I did, uh, even though there are a few things about it that, that kind of pissed me off a little bit, but not in a way that makes me just hate the movie like some people did. Some people, I mean, the, the discourse on this one was, you are you love it or hate it there was no in between it felt like and i was kind of like i'm a little bit in between on it yeah you know? i'm i would say that i'm like moderate but leaning a little bit more towards like yeah it. that was like, me I didn't, too yeah like i didn't think it was perfect no. but i i don't think it is garbage at all no, like no, no, not at mm-hmm. all. it's a perfectly serviceable slasher texas chainsaw massacre movie. yeah and i think it's a good looking yeah. movie it fits sort of the mm-hmm. the uh, aesthetic of it all uh in a in a good way i i bulgaria passed as Texas much better in this one than in Leatherface. Um, I, I, I mean, there there were there were things like that, you know. Um, oh yeah, the poppy fields of Texas. Yeah. Ah yes. <laughs> right, right, exactly. All those dead wilted sunflowers. Yeah. 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 So. Oh, but that so, scene is so good. It is. Oh. It is. Cool. And so that's, beautiful. Yeah. That's where I'm going to start with my little, just like my initial thoughts of the movie, like because before this even came out. Like, the image of Leatherface, like, with his head popping up in, like, the dead sunflower field was, like, basically memified and kind of, like, made, like, a viral joke. And it's about, like, a half-second spot in the movie. Like, he literally pops his head up and i see that and i'm like it's a me mario like i just see that and another thing just want to yell mama mia and i don't know why um but that scene as a whole like you take that one second out and that scene where the van crashes and leatherface 
does his thing because <laughs> all of that carnage, like, it's really tense. There's a lot of great mayhem there. And I think if you took out that one moment, like, you have a near perfect, like, okay, hard, this is why. Hard disagree. I think that moment is perfection. Like With it's, him popping his yes, head up? It's such a juxtaposition of the beauty of the sunflower field and this grittiness of I'm his with you, face. Sarah. Like I think no. that moment that moment gives me chills. Like it's it was so good. But it became such a clown. It's been so clowned upon. That's but that's, that's not really, the fault of the shot. Yeah. That's the fault of the internet. Correct. I just think it's not a great shot either. Oh, that whole scene, like where yeah. he's holding up the the face into the sunlight and it reflects, and then he comes out of this field because up to mm-hmm. this moment we've only seen like old man Leatherface without right. the mask, mm-hmm. and so you know, it's it's that moment of like I'm back, and yeah. it's so like inte- well, like it's intense. Like you're like, yeah. oh shit's gonna get real right now. Right. Like mm-hmm. we'll, we'll we already know he that. killed people, but like fuck, yeah. this is. This is where it's getting serious. We'll talk more about, I think, that scene in particular as we kind of go through the movie here a bit. Um, I think part of the problem, and I'm kind of like in the middle, maybe leaning a little bit more towards like, I like it, but I have a lot of criticisms of of this movie. Similar to how I was with like 2017's Leatherface. I'm like, yeah. It's not terrible. Like, it's actually pretty good. And I I talked last week about how it's the first one since part two where I think you have a bit more of an auteurist vision when you have Marion Bastillo directing that movie. Um, And not that I think there's any sort of auteurist vision. I think it's a very workmanlike picture here. Um, But I think what what it really wants to be is 2018's Halloween, like really bad. Like, you Mm -hmm. see in the beats that it's trying to hit, including that, like... I'm going to hold like the skin mask up to the sun and let the sun glint off it. And that in and of itself, like standalone is a very cool moment. But because we live in a world where you make associations, I'm immediately drawn to like 2018's Halloween and Michael removing the mask from the back of the trunk for the first time and like Carpenter's score. And even thinking like, well, that even that's a bit of a ridiculous moment. Um, So I think in terms of like the tone and the structure and what it's going for, and even with like how they portray Sally in this movie, again, being like a heroine who has been traumatized by this singular event, who then realizes like the trauma does not give a damn about her whatsoever. Um, And I might even argue it's actually handled a bit better in this movie than 2018's Halloween. Um, it really wants to be that movie. And to me, the Texas Chainsaw franchise as a whole is at its best when it embraces its like Austin, Texas's keep Austin weird vibes. Like what I love about this series as a whole is it is such a roller coaster that you go from this original movie, which is the greatest horror movie of all time, and it's just so discomforting to the second movie by the same director and it's like a screwball comedy funded by just completely fueled by cocaine. Oh, yeah. Like it is wonderful. <laughs> and yeah. you, you have all of these wild swings and these huge changes in tone and look and feel. 
And to me, that's what makes this series really special. It's why I've really grown to love and appreciate this franchise as a whole, covering it these past few months, and why I could probably say I would return to the sequels of this movie more than I might even A Nightmare on Elm Street at this point, which is, I've said before, is like probably my favorite franchise of all time. Like These are just fun to rewatch because they're so weird. Um, and I remember like watching this with patrons of our other show. We did like a discord chat the night it came out and did kind of a watch along together. And just, I'd already not been spoiled on what happened, but kind of had gotten like a feel for what the online chatter was for it. And mostly it being negative. And to me, like this is not a movie that deserves as much hate as it got. Um, there's a lot of criticisms to be had and I think there's one egregious thing it does that if you're like I hate this movie for this particular reason I'm not going to argue with you and we will save that for the discussion but to me it's like it's a perfectly acceptable straight to video Netflix horror movie um, that has some re. I, I will say that I think it's creators over rely on cool kills and gore to mask its flaws. Mm -hmm. Steven, do you mind, like, Devon Taylor, who uh, couldn't be with us this week, he just wanted to give us, like, a very quick, like, what he thinks of this movie. And Steven, do you mind reading Devon's Taylor's here in the notes? Not at all. I'm not going to try to do a Devon impression because that just feels wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't, don't do, do that, that. please. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. Don't, don't worry. It's, it's not going to happen. I would never dream of it. Uh, love you, Devon. Um, he says, jealous to miss this. Uh, this film is like, or uh, this is the Rocky Balboa of the TCM franchise. Your favorite athlete who's aged well out of his prime pulls out one more great killing performance. Uh, their usual tricks don't work anymore in the modern game, so they got to adapt. That's Leatherface in this movie. So the next one is going to be Creed. The next one's going to be, there's going to be, a, there's going to be a new upcoming him, uh, psycho killer with him, a chainsaw. And, yeah. And, and him trading the new, trade the him, new, yeah, trading the new one. The new hotness, yeah. I think they're gonna no. What they're gonna do is they're gonna bring back Alexandra Daddario, and she's gonna be the new. She's there gonna be go. like leather lace. I'm okay with that. I'm a hundred percent on board. I want yeah. a female leather face more than anything. Like I want the, Alexandra Daddario in more movies. That's yeah, what I, I just want. want I think Sandra the closest Dario we everything. ever got to that was in Death House when Debbie Roshan is playing a character called Leather Lace, mm -hmm. and. Because Gunnar Hansen was supposed to be a part of that movie, but sadly passed before mm. it, it got made. And so that was their little tribute to him. Oh, wow. Oh. Was oh, Leather Lace. Sweet. And so ever since, I'm like, hell yeah, Leather Lace. That's what we need. That could work. I'll that take it. Yeah. Work. Okay. Um, all right. So moving on, we're going to talk a little bit about like the behind the scenes and the background of this movie. And the long and short of it is... Lionsgate and Millennium felt like they were going to have like a whole franchise on their hands again when they bought the rights to the, the series. But because 2017's Leatherface sat on the shelf for so long and because it had such a weird release and probably wasn't the most financially successful movie of all time, um, they lost the rights. Like they sat on it for too long and the rights reverted back. So legendary pictures then picked it up thinking, okay, we're going to 
try to like get, make five movies and a TV show out of this, like the reverse community thing. Instead of six <laughs> seasons in a movie, we're going to do like five movies and a show. Now, if you told me that you could get reanimate like Jim Saito and do like Drayton Sawyer's cooking show on YouTube or, or on yes. Shutter, like if you did a leather like a Sawyer family cooking show. And you got Bill Mosley. There you go. You got oh god, I'm I'm drawing a blank, and I apologize. The gentleman who plays the hitchhiker, Edwin Neal, um, or Ed Neal. Edwin, Neal. thank yeah. you. Um, if you got them, if you got Alexandra Daddario, if you, if you got them to do like an in character Sawyer family cooking hour on Shutter, a hell yeah, I would I would watch that. And Bill Mosley actually party. played Drayton in the. In the, he did. the reboot, so he could That's he could true. easily step in for Jim they Seidel. He even there. replace Jim Seidel in the in the um, if, if they flashback scene with if they Bill Mosley. Bring me on as a creative consultant, though. I would flip a table. Well, of course, just well, saying. No, yeah. rightly so. Right. Rightly I so. would flip a table. <laughs> well, my first thought when I saw the legendary logo was, "Wait a minute! You mean we can have Leatherface meets Godzilla?" Hell that yeah. That is what I want to see. We could do yeah. that. But we want to. But there was a time in the early 90s where New Line had the rights to Friday the 13th, yep. A Nightmare on Elm Street, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. And that, my friends, is a Monster Squad reboot. Yes, I know. I would yeah. go for in a heartbeat. Um, all right. So after Legendary picks it up. Uh, Fede Alvarez, the director behind the uh, Evil Dead reboot and Don't Breathe, he's brought on as an executive producer as well as to help shape the story. And while Alvarez says, like, this Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie is going to be similar to the 2018 strategy of, like, following the original uh, but kind of acting as a soft reboot as well, Alvarez says it does follow the continuity of the first four movies just ignoring Texas Chainsaw 3D as well as 2017's Leatherface, as well as obviously uh, the rebooted films from Platinum Dune, which exist in their own continuity. Mm-hmm. And Alvarez expanded on his statement on the bloody di- disgusting uh, Boo Crew podcast. And Sarah, can you read that bolded quote there? Yes, I can. He said... You see a photo of young Leatherface, an old picture from the 70s. Alvarez teases when talking about the new movie. The logic for me is that Leatherface, after the crimes of the original movie, just ran away. His new mother figure took pity on him, saw he was mentally challenged and scared, and probably did some terrible things. She took him under her wing. Probably. I think a lot of the movies that happened after the original still happened. He probably escaped, you know. He was in and out of that place for a long time. I think she probably gave him enough chances as movies that happened and then got to a point that he settled down. He just stayed there. It's not his real mother. I don't think she likes the Sawyers. I think she's a really good lady. She hasn't been doing anything bad, anything wrong. She doesn't want him to kill. What do we think of that statement? I think it's a little weird because this movie does not feel like two, three, and four happened to me. I agree. Yeah. This, I, yeah. And I, as, as someone who's a fan of the franchise, each movie does not, 
the family dynamic changes Everything so changes, much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even in the third movie, they're the slaughters, not the Sawyers. So I, I disagree that these, I think the continuity on this is after two or is after one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course, according to yeah. Gunnar Hansen, it's the slaughters in the first movie too. It is. Yeah. There's that whole sign. We slaughter. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I, I think, I think it's loose. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is. And so, and besides, it feels more authentic to this movie to say Leatherface after the end of the first movie, uh, you know, the family sort of, who knows what happens to the rest of the family over the next couple of years. He gets taken in to this place and becomes sort of the protector of, of this woman, this kind woman and this group of foster children she's taken in and um, is just there and just never leaves. And, you know, um, and until these damn fool kids come into his house and mess things up again. That's That feels much more authentic yeah. to what this movie is doing than saying mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. two, three, and four even exist in this continuity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and especially if they're aiming to be like Halloween 2018. Yeah. Which basically said nothing past the first movie happened. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that this is going that route. Like, I, I did not at all get the vibe that we should, this followed, you know, two through four. Right. Yeah, I completely agree. Every every sequel in this franchise feels like a reboot of the original in some way or yeah, another. Absolutely. Yeah, And this, I think this absolutely falls in with that as well. Like, two does not feel like a sequel to one. It feels like a reboot of the franchise three feels like another reboot of the franchise. Like every time they revisit it, they'd kind of take it off in some weird direction. So this, this feels more of a piece with the first film than probably any other film in the franchise does. Honestly, I would still say that the platinum dunes reboot, although it does its own thing, tries to match the tone of the first movie. Oh, yeah, for it sure. tries to go. I would yeah, say that it's the closest thing, miserable. and it, it matches it in a way that, like, you feel... Just had to throw that. Incredibly helpless watching that movie. Yeah, sure. Like, you re-watching it, you know terrible things are going to happen, and you're powerless to stop them. Um, I would say that the third one also kind of tries to go back to the tone of the first one, but keeps a little bit of the second one's silliness. Right. Like, I, oh. I feel like it really tried to go back to that gritty, yeah, you know, feeling of the first one. I think the issue with the third movie is the portrayal of Leatherface in it. Because mm. he goes from this, it, we talked about how sympathetic he is. And, and in those first two movies, he's very sympathetic. And there's something kind of like childlike with him. In the third movie, he's much more... Like he shows a, displays a lot more agency in the choices that he's yeah. making in that movie, and he's much more, I think, of your like prototypical like horror movie villain than he is in and the. And see, I think of him more as two. the protector in that one because, like, mm. the way he interacts with the little girl, you know, his the daughter, killer, yeah. Like I, I think that like he's protecting his, like mm-hmm. you know, he's protecting his family, like, mm-hmm. and that's I think that's Leatherface as a whole all over is. He's mm-hmm. not really doing it because he just wants to go kill people. He's doing it because he's protecting no. his family, like, at yeah. the end of the day. Well, I think that Alvarez's statement here is a bit of having your cake and eating it, too. 
Because I do think one of the criticisms of the 2018 Halloween is like, we have all these other movies which we really love. Like Halloween 2 is a better slasher movie than Halloween is. It's not a better movie, but it's a better slasher film. Halloween 4 has seen like a tremendous amount of love uh, over the past decade. Like there's a tremendous amount of appreciation in your saying like, we're also we're wiping Danielle Harris's performance like off the board at this point. Um, So I think it kind of like, it does exactly what you're saying and that it really is just a direct continuation of the first movie and it wipes everything out. But because this franchise is so weird and because it has had so many like kind of like soft restarts, you can say they don't count. I am still of the mindset that the family, including Leatherface in part four, is not the same family that you see in the first movie. Like they are hired actors in order, like they're doing what, basically what they're trying, what they do in Martyrs, and that you have these hired actors that are creating fear for some sort of purpose. And they're not, like that's not Leatherface, that is a person playing the role of Leatherface. Um, But that's my take on part four. You can go back to that episode and give that a listen for more of that. Um, so I am in line with the three of you. I think this is more, no, it's a content, it's a con- continuation of the first movie. So Randy and Andy Toehill, uh, British directors, they directed the British Irish horror movie, the dig, which I've never seen. They're brought on to direct this. They are promptly fired after about one week of filming <laughs> in August of 2020. They basically, they say, well, we left because of creative differences. Essentially, like legendary films, they weren't happy with the footage they were seeing. And Alvarez, like, the, sounds like Alvarez kind of had someone lined up, and these two were on a short leash to begin with. Because very quickly, David Blue Garcia, who is the writer of the um, slasher film, not Hellfest, Bloodfest, is brought in to do this and Bloodfest is similar to Hellfest it's a movie that takes place in a uh, haunted attractive haunted attraction theme park and there's a killer let loose inside uh Hellfest is much better than Bloodfest that's just my opinion so blue david blue garcia comes on to direct once again they're shooting in bulgaria because like nothing says uh the rural parts of texas like central europe uh, or Eastern Europe. Um, well, I mean, there are yeah, harkening back to Sergio Leone, you know, shooting shooting oh, yeah. Spain for Texas, you know. So, right. But he could make, he it, could make work. it work. I mean, yeah. when you have a he was David Blue Garcia. He's not no Sergio Leone. Sergio <laughs> no. Leone. No, he certainly soon. is not that, is he? No. Um, but he's from initi- Texas, though, so maybe he knows something we don't. Maybe who knows? <laughs> maybe. Like what your cousin's tongue tastes oh. like. Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. You never know what's gonna Should come I out. Should I edit with, that? With, uh, wow. Mike's mouth. You really oh, don't. Yeah. Ouch. What's that? Sorry, <laughs> sorry, listeners. Um, Every listener from Texas out sharpening their knives from right from Mike Snoonian right now. I know. What are those East Coast elites? Oh, some of them are like, yeah, I do. Whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Oh, I did not laugh at that. I did not. So the initial plans for a 2021 theatrical release are scrapped after some test screenings that could 
best be described as disastrous. Although, like I looked online, it looks like it was one YouTuber that described them as disaster. He posted a two-hour video describing the, uh, and he kind of runs through the whole movie and then what the problems with it are. Uh, Fede Alvarez disputed the assertion that this test screening went very poorly. Again, from the Boo Crew podcast, uh, Brian, do you mind reading this quote from Alvarez? Not at all. Here we go. Um, I would let the studio announce the, uh, sorry, I would let the studio announce the planned release, but we played it a couple of times. There was someone online who said it didn't go well. I don't know what screening he was at. It was amazing, Alvarez explains. When you test it, you get a score, and it scored as good as Don't Breathe 2, which I think is better than Don't Breathe. Uh, so that tells you something. I don't know what it tells me because I don't mm. know really know how Don't I Breathe 2 s- scored. I skipped Don't Breathe 2 after yeah. the first one. Turkey basters yeah. and me are now no longer yeah. like at all... In the same world, right? <laughs> oh, I, I still haven't seen it. Should I see? Should I see? No, I watched movies? that trailer and I'm like, oh, you're okay. taking the don't dude who's like raped a number of women into the hero of this movie. Like, don't Ooh. need that one. Nope. Um, All right, I'll, I'll avoid. Thank you. But I, I don't, I can't confirm or deny that the test screenings were awful. But I, but if you have a planned theatrical release and you have a franchise like. Texas Chainsaw Massacre coming off the heels of like horror is on a tremendous run at this point and post pandemic it's one of like really only two genres of film that are guaranteed money makers the other Mm -hmm. one being superhero movies like as we've seen like comedies are dead in the theater Mm -hmm. like when is the last time that like a wide release comedy and there's been some very good comedies but people don't turn out to see them in theaters anymore. Mm-mm. If you have a horror movie and you have a superhero movie, people will come out. Like even Pixar at this point isn't immune yeah. from the changing tastes of, of cinema. Yeah, goals. Lightyear did not do so. Well. To me, and it's not like to Texas, be fair it, though, Lightyear was also Toy Story like part twenty thousand. Like sure, we're over it. Like the, well, the problem. I will just I'll keep I'll keep off my soapbox. You know mm-hmm. for too long, but. Pixar's problem right now is they're putting all of their original content on Disney Plus and then yeah. just putting sequels onto the theatrical. Sure. And who the hell cares? Yeah. Turning Red was amazing. Um, right. Luca, beautiful. Like both right. of those absolutely unequivocally should have right. had theatrical screenings and Lightyear should have gone yeah. to Disney yeah. Plus. Like but, that's the yeah, issue. But, yeah, but what And they it? just announced they just announced like Inside Out 2. I'm like, "Come on, guys." Yeah. Like it is, it is weird, I mean, because it is weird, because, like, for the longest time, Disney would have, like, a massive hit on in, uh, in the theaters anima- for an animated movie, and then you would have, like, direct-to-video sequels that made a boatload of right. money when people would buy physical media. Um, and now they've switched it around, yeah. Yeah. But to your point, like, it's not like Texas Chain... Like, with Halloween kill, Halloween ends, like, disappointed, a little bit weird that it's going to peacock the same at the same time that it goes to theaters and you know that's going to hurt the box office but it you can also the understand one. the last one made 70 million and compared to but it made half of what 2018's did i also think that 2018 not even half i am partially of the mindset that halloween 2018 was a fluke because i don't actually think halloween kills was that good of a movie 
Like it was it's not. It was boring. No, how, like I don't. Not. I honest, and I actually don't even have really high expectations for right. Halloween ends. I think t- 2018 was a fluke and hit at just the right moment. Sure. Coming off the heels of it, coming mm-hmm. off of Get Out exactly. and Hereditary, when people are primed for it, getting Jamie Lee back after 20 years, yeah. mm-hmm. Carpenter doing the score for it, um, genuine like, oh, like let's see where this actually is going to go. And also like, and, and I am someone who thinks Rob Zombie's second Halloween is like brilliant, but also like theoretically washing the taste of those movies out of fans mouths. As much as I really like that second one and have grown to appreciate his first one, even, and I do think David Gordon green borrowed a lot from zombies playbook, but we'll talk about that more in the next couple weeks, but I can understand why Halloween goes to Peacock because universal has a streamer that they want subscribers for. And it's like, do we want to make $150 million in one month and then that's it? Or do we want 20 million, 2 million people to give us $10 a month for five years? Right. Right. So what would you, and what would you rather do? But you don't have that with Texas Chainsaw. So the fact that like it gets sold to Netflix for whatever lump sum, as opposed to putting it in theaters says to me that like they knew something was off like it just wasn't going to be what they weren't going to get the kind of return they would want to have theatrically from it and it does well like it premieres on netflix and in that first week they say like it gets 20 million hours of viewing in the first week i don't know how netflix numbers work like it's a bunch of hooey magic no one does like no, no one does. has zero idea, but I think it's fair to say you can expect more of these movies on Netflix. Like it hasn't been announced yep. yet for a sequel, but I have to imagine that you're going to see more of them and we'll be covering them in 2024 and onward. I think this might have also had to do, and I'm going to compare it to a, another streamer, that movie that went straight to streaming after a theatrical series. Pray, mm-hmm. because a lot of it I think has to do with the success of the previous film. Agreed. Because um, Leatherface was not a big theatrical hit, right? Did it, it even, didn't come out uh, in theaters? It, yeah, I was going to say it was a straight to DVD. Yeah, they, it wasn't they even that. It was sold that, to that's direct right. TV. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, um, and and then so I think based on based on the previous film and whatever sort of situation that it ran into. Um, as with happened with with uh, the predator, which was a bomb. Ooh, yeah. Um, you know, that Hulu decided, okay, we're gonna we're gonna just stream this one, um, and in both cases with Texas Chainsaw and with Prey, you end up with these massive streaming hits that probably wouldn't have been successful theatrically, because people aren't gonna shell out to go out, you know. In sort of the, I guess, I suppose the waning days, uh, but people are still there's still enough people nervous about going out into mm-hmm. public places for af- um, after the experience yeah. of the last couple of years as well. So I think there's um, there's a lot of factors going into why you dump something on streaming right now. I mean, even Scream uh, Five ran in theaters alone for what only five or six weeks at mm-hmm. most. But that's what movies do now, unless you're Top yeah, Gun or exactly. Spider-Man. Top Gun, yeah, yeah. And what's funny is we have a lot of 
movies that I'm seeing now that are simultaneously playing on streaming. Oh in, yeah, like in theaters, here, like locally, Elvis. Elvis is mm-hmm. yeah, Elvis <laughs> is still in theaters here. Top Gun still in yeah. theaters here, and you can watch it for yeah. free on. HBO Max, like yeah. HBO Max, well, free. Well, free. If you most <laughs> right. people already you, have a subscription, you, you don't have to pay the twenty dollar <laughs> yeah. VOD price, is what I meant. Like, exactly. Yeah, I, I know, I know. But but it, it's it's a it's that's sort of the interesting place we are right now. Um, which I also think it has to do slightly with like the, the just the cost of going to the movies now. Like, I was talking to a friend about this last night, and she lives in California. It's eighteen dollars to go to a movie, like no. for one ticket. Like so, mm-hmm. she and she was asking us. She goes, "Is you know, Barbarian worth an eighteen dollar ticket for each me and my partner?" Like, and I was like, "Yeah, no." Yes, it is. <laughs> Absolutely, it is. It is. Yeah, it's that good. Barbarian I, um, is the best R movie. I do. Yeah, I agree. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm I gonna say be, y'all. Forgot, I don't want to get. I'm gonna say y'all forgot get, fresh, but just that's. that's oh, fresh is okay. I, I don't want to get yet, too too sidetracked on that yeah. on that route. Yeah. But Sarah, yeah. like, I think you're right. Like a night out at the movies between two tickets and snacks, and if you have like a younger child, a babysitter mm-hmm. can easily be like a hundred dollar night out at yeah. that point. Yeah, I do the Regal monthly pass. Yeah. I do the Regal monthly pass, so mm-hmm. it's it's twenty bucks for the month, and you can go to as many as you want. That's yeah, so, and there's also there's also AMC has a similar. Program. So I agree, Brian. Like the I do the AMC pass as well because uh, there's just not a lot of Regals around. Right. Um, we're getting a draft house, but it's in Boston, and Boston is just uh, far enough away from me now that it would yeah. be, especially where it's going, it would be inconvenient to go. And I, I pay my 24 bucks a month, and if I p- go twice, it's more than paid for itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I bring somebody with me, I have to buy that second ticket, snacks, uh, all that fun stuff. And it's just like shit costs a lot of money. Like it's not mm-hmm. cheap to go to theaters anymore. Mm-hmm. No. It's why, to be quite honest, I'd like to go by myself most of the time. And I, it's I a think financial also- thing. And I don't know if y'all experienced this, but like this has happened to me twice now recently with horror movies. What is with teenagers going into the horror movies just to talk? I'm like, can you not hang out like in the lobby? Like we went and saw when we saw Barbarian, the the teenagers behind us were literally talking like full on conversation, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I turned around and I mom voiced them like three times and I was like. Y'all need to shut up. Like, I'm watching See, the movie. Go go hang out outside. Like, I don't get that problem with teenagers. Like, oh, I, in all I, honesty, when I go to theaters, like, the teens are actually pretty well behaved. Like, once the movie starts. When I went to see Smile last weekend, I had to get up and tap the couple, like, two seats over in front of us on the shoulder. And I'm like, look. Like, I don't know if you know this, but like we can hear your conversation and it's really distracting. Whenever I go to a movie, it is like older couples like oh, my wow. age or the baby boomers. Like they just yeah. don't. So I don't have a problem with teens, but it's like older couples like, yeah, they like just. And this woman kept taking out her phone and I'm like, why are you yeah. paying like $20 for a ticket and I'd, then just like on your phone? I had the same problem during the invitation, like a group mm-hmm. of girls, teen girls. And maybe it's yep. just my theater. Like 
I don't know, but like they were talking and they got it got to the point where halfway through the movie they left. And I was like yeah. I was like, why'd you pay What's to come see a movie? Like no. just go hang out at the coffee shop down the like down the block, like I don't know, Sarah. No regals, shitty AMCs, talking teenagers. You might need to move. You right? Might, not like movies. <laughs> might be time to relocate. I don't know. Just throwing it out. Maybe. I know. We, well, moved, consider. we moved and I, I miss my old Harkins. Like we had one in Scottsdale that was so nice. And I love that movie theater. And now we have the like this Harkins and it's just not as good. All right. Let's bring it back to the movie. I think we got off off track there a little bit and I'm like oh it's so beautiful out today I want to run around and jump in some leaves here after we record so let's talk about the movie proper um, again I think that it's really we talked a bit about how it embraces that requel idea that Halloween kind of like did you know fairly well at least did it to some financial success someone where we want to start to me like I think Someone needs to break down the politics of this movie for me, because to me it seems like a right wing fever dream. Like this is like the poster child for, you know, the conservative argument against like those damn kids. And I, Sarah, I see you have a number of notes here. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see what you have to say. Oh, and I'll just say like. Dante walks out and is like, welcome to late stage capitalism, man. And it's like, no, like you, like, the premise of this movie is that you have a pair of 20 somethings that have like bought up all this property in a down and out town and are going to sell off those properties to the highest bidder. And I think, you know, if, if you read any news article right now on the problems with homeownership and why, home ownership is down like younger persons don't feel it's even achievable it's not like younger people like melody and dante that are doing this it's like you have these giant corporations buying up all the singular single family homes all the tri-deckers and selling them off to the highest bidder i mean what you're creating is a generation of renters Mm. at this point like home ownership is becoming less possible for younger people now but this movie posits what if it's not that what if it's like these 20 something youtube chefs that are going to talk about avocado toast and chai lattes and pumpkin spice like those are the real gentrifiers um that's like the first problem with like the politics of this movie do you know a lot of young restaurant owners and like all that because i do that's why i'm saying like i I do. I food blog. I see who's yep. opening the 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 chic little coffee shops. Mm-hmm. It's not you know sixty year old white dudes. Mm-hmm. It's very liberal young people, and so mm-hmm. I would argue that this is an extreme take on this. And I think that's kind of the point is they're kind of saying that both sides are not good. Like you can you can go extreme both ways, and I think. I do think that this movie is trying to mimic some of the messaging from the original where like, you know, the Sawyer family, they've lost their their means because of modernization and, you know, they the slaughterhouse has gone to the air guns, so they don't need anybody to hit cows over the head with a hammer anymore. And so they all lost their jobs and they've got nothing. And so mm-hmm. in essence, 
Leatherface is living in this home with this woman who actually still owns her deed. And these mm-hmm. these modern folks, I don't think it's necessarily the, the age. I think they did that as a marketing, like, look at young people because people want to see young people in horror movies. I, I think that was just a choice of casting versus because mm-hmm. nobody wants to go watch, you know, 60 year old white dude comes and tries to take Leatherface's house. But I think that it's it's kind of mirroring that that kind of modernization ideal. And that's that's what we're dealing with right now is we're not dealing with modernization of technology for people losing their jobs. We're dealing with gentrification and people taking out small communities so that they can build their avocado toast coffee shop and, you know, this, that, and the other. And I think it's not a perfect execution of that, but I think that's where it's trying to go. I think there's a sense that um, these younger characters in this are sort of like the modern version of hippies um, that are shown in the first film. That that was the way I watched it this time. Mm-hmm. Um, that the way I interpreted them. Um, you know, that, that it's just sort of the, the echoing in 2022 what 1973 um, you know, I guess leftist politics are, but not, I don't know how to, how to explain it beyond that. But, um, or, or the, it it comes across as a caricature of them, frankly, (laughs) you know, it doesn't come across as, as particularly authentic to me, but you know, Hey, um, I would argue most of the characters seem very caricatured in Mm -hmm. this film. Yeah. I, I, I would think so too, including, including, you know, the contractor, you know, especially the contractor. He's, he's just like, you know, of course he's, he's a Texas gun nut. Right. If you told Um, me his name was Dallas and Houston, I'd be like, yep. Yep. You know, and they're just kind of staring. But what I think is interesting though, is that Richter and Elsie, Elsie Fisher's character. Oh, what's her name? Lila. Lila. So I think Richter and Lila are kind of supposed to be like the moderate viewpoint. Because Richter, if you watch when he ha- when she looks at the gun, he makes sure to take all the, the bullets out. He makes sure mm-hmm. to clear the chamber. Like, he is not just some, like, go play with the gun, Texas gun nut. Like, he's got a little bit more of a, like... Sure. He To me, what it read like is this is somebody who's from Harlow, who's literally probably lost his shop. And now he's having to help the people who took his livelihood from him. Mm-hmm. And he's doing it in a less violent way than Leatherface, who is also so losing s- his home. I don't. Steven, I see your hand up there. To be fair, I do know a lot of very right wing people who would still make sure that all the bullets are out and the yeah. things not cocked before handing you their piece. Um, so I, I don't know that that's really evidence so much as of him being a moderate. But I think the way that he. And again, he seems the, the guy who's willing to at least play both sides. Like he sees money in the kids that are coming, like a way to kind of restore his livelihood. But he's the first person to come to um, old lady, not Sawyer's defense as well. Like when when they basically like cause her to hyperventilate, call the cops, pass her out and eventually kill her. Like he seems I, I agree with you that he's moderate, but I don't know that that in and of itself is the evidence of it. And Lila seems very much to 
not care about any of this in some ways, kind of the detached Gen Z. But in a lot of ways, a lot of that is kind of her own. I don't mean politically moderate. I just mean not extreme. Like, I feel like the depiction of, you know, Melody and Dante is very extreme left. Like, it's not like, whereas, like, you could argue that, like, they're the more moderate characters in that they're not politically cited at all. Right. Like, I feel I think like. that's one of the, that that's my issue with the portrayal, though, which I'll get. And to, like, build off what Brian said, when you watch the 1973 movie, it's, I don't think so much a, a, repudia- a repudiation of left-wing politics, but it's saying, right. like, in this moment, like, you're coming off, like, three years post-Charles Manson, where you could say, like, the peace and love movement and the hippie movement uh, is now dead. You have the political assassinations of MLK, Martin Luther King Jr., and Robert Kennedy Jr. in 1969 as well. And you're saying, like, this moment in time, like, this hippie movement, like, it's dead, it's buried, it failed. And also, the thing to remember about the original gang, the original uh, five friends in Hooper's movie, they're locals. Like, Sarah, uh, sorry, Sally and Franklin they're stopping at the cemetery because they're worried their grandfather's grave has been disturbed. Like he is local to them. They're not outsiders coming in. They are though. There's a, there is a family home where they played like their family is from that area. They may not be there now, but they have family and they have roots in that area. So, and I, you can make the point like, Oh, like Leatherface is it's a home invasion movie told from the perspective of the killers and i think that there is some merit to that overall but the the gang of five in the first movie they're a pretty innocuous group like they're not there to really disturb anything they're actually pretty respectful of everyone like they don't make fun of like the barbecue shop they um aren't at odds with the local law enforcement they pretty much get along with everyone they're just trying to get through and they get caught up in circumstances well above their head that no one can encounter the first encounter or the second encounter that like melody and dante have here when they encounter richter before he's even like stepped out of his truck they've passed judgment on him so sarah to your point like well richter is like this moderate and dante and melody are perceived or portrayed as these ultra left-wing kind of like again poster children for your fox news is how we see young young leftists like that portrayal is a choice and that portrayal of them as these extremes it has loaded meeting behind it richter is probably one of the more sympathetic and empathetic empathetic characters of this movie like when he sees what Lila has gone through, he sees her scar. He's like, man, that must have been really hard to live with. You can tell he's at odds with Dante, but he's also, when he sees Dante is injured, he like immediately drops his quarrel with him and is trying to protect him. He doesn't have the like, you got what you deserved type of, of portrayal. Whereas Melody is completely antagonistic with pretty much every local figure that she meets. And we're going to talk more about her because I didn't think there was someone who could be more annoying than Franklin. And she is like the worst character in this whole series. 
I think that the point is to not like it's I think and this is where I think that the execution is slightly flawed. I mm-hmm. think that you're not supposed to really love any of the antagonists or the protagonists. I think you're supposed yeah. to like like it, it's all well and it's all well and good that David Blue Garcia says like we wanted mm-hmm. to make you sympathize with Leatherface but not too much. Mm-hmm. I I don't think that that's the case at all. I think you're supposed to like the one you're supposed to cheer for in this movie is Leatherface because if sure. you watch this film, he's sitting there when they come into his home. He's just sitting there. He's not attacking yeah. them. He sees them from the staircase. Doesn't attack them. It's only when mm-hmm. they hurt his people that they that that he goes on the rampage. And mm-hmm. going back to the original, the Sally and Franklin are outsiders because they haven't been to their childhood home since they were children. Like to that that grandma's house to, since they were kids and it's in complete disrepair, which tells me they haven't been local local, you know, quote unquote, for some time, they don't even know where the grave is, which, but there are still, I, I couldn't tell you where my dad's grave is. I never go to it. But what I, but what right. I'm saying is from the standpoint, cause you look at movies of that period, like deliverance mm-hmm. and stuff and that you get the, like the, the northerner, the northerner who's not from there. And I kind of feel mm-hmm. like this was like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre uses that. Mm hmm. And that's why, you know, they, they do go into Leatherface's house. They go rifling through the kitchen right. full of bones, etc. And so it is kind of like they stepped into where they shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Melody and Lila are in the same position, though, because Melody says at the beginning of the film, our grandmother's actually from Harlow. And she quotes that line when Harlow mm-hmm. sunflowers in, blo- or, uh, in bloom, uh, winter mm-hmm. is doomed. Like right, so, yeah. so they're in in kind of a very similar situation as as Franklin and Sally are in the first film, and they're very much painted as the the Franklin and Sally of this film, I think in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. to the extent that Melody is basically just wearing what Franklin wore in the first movie, really. I just think as you go up and down this movie, mm-hmm. like one of the big issues I have with it is like the scene between like Dante and Miss McCumber. I believe it is like the woman who owns the boarding house. Like there is a, if characters are able to just talk to one another, it's a misunderstanding that could be easily averted. And I get it's a horror movie. You, you could get to the same point through different means. Like the immediate instinct from Dante and melody is like, as soon as they feel like, Oh, this is our place and it's disputed. They immediately want to toss her out. Like one of mm-hmm. them, First instinct, let's call the police and get her out of here. And Melody's response is like, oh, well, you can just go to a shelter. Like, you Mm -hmm. shouldn't be on. It's something Melody does throughout the movie. She tells people, like, she knows what's better for them, better than they do. Like, that's one of her defining characteristics. Like, oh, you can just go to a shelter. You'll be cared for there. It's better for you. People like you shouldn't be on their own anyway at your age. Mm -hmm. So you immediately see her ageism come into play she's, there's a lot um, of entitlement across she's got a lot of, of a, she's got a lot of that mm-hmm. savior like tropiness to her no. because like she does the same thing to her sister like she's always like you know over the top with like her protectiveness and it's it comes off as like she's trying to be everyone's savior but mm-hmm. not necessarily mm-hmm. for the right reasons like i don't even know if it's about being someone's savior as much as like I know what's better for you. I am smarter than you. 
Um, and a lot of it is just like, let me do my thing and stay out of my way. Like there's a lot of like, just stay out of the way and let me do what I want to do. And also like the minute there's that issue, like the minute the old woman dies, she's like, Oh, you know, now the bloom has come off the rose. This, the fantasy is gone. Like this is actually going to be hard work. There's going to be obstacles. She's like, Hey, give us the keys. We're going back to Austin. Like she cuts, she wants to cut bait right away. I think to some degree there's, there's the implication at least that Dante has been kind of lying to her about some of these things. Like he's the one that says, no, I have the deed. I have the deed. She's been taking his word for it. So when he goes back and then he can't find the deed, Oh, it must be in Austin. Oh, we don't have it. And then he dies and they get the woman out of the house and they go back to search for the deed, or I guess he's not dead yet, but they go back to search for the deed. She's the one that finds it and realizes that she's been lied to. And I think, I I think there's, there's, and, and again, this this plays into, I think, why my reading of, of her character is a little different than yours. I think mm-hmm. I think she understands in that moment, at least to some degree, her culpability in this. And I sure. think that begins for her, I would argue, a redemption arc in the film that is literally cut off at the end of the film. Um, I, and, I, I, and again, I, I, again, that's my read, but I... I, I, again, I, I feel like I'm definitely in the minority for most people that enjoy this movie. I don't think she's been lied to because I you think don't? Like, when you look through the, the case that he has, like there's a it's not like he has like two slips of deeds in there. Like there is a lot of paperwork in there. And I think it's within the realm of human reasoning to, to think like you feel like you've bought everything. They obviously had put a claim on the place because it had been in dispute before she paid it up and he's like yeah i have all of my ducks in a row like here is like this pretty massive folder of of deeds and he's like and i do have more at the office i think that it was sloppy bookkeeping and i think it plays to the again that idea of like no i know better what easily could have been done is like okay well what wh- you can stay until this is resolved but they have all the investors coming they can't that's that's where that the reason that they're pushing them out is because they don't want if the investors in their mind, if the investors come Mm -hmm. and there's this, you know, old lady with her old son sitting there in the building and they're like, well, we're trying to clear this stock, this, you know, then the investors are like, you guys don't have your ducks in a row. But it's one building out of dozens. It's bad for the photo op. It's it's bad for the photo op though. It's like, I, it's, it's, you don't have your ducks in a row and why would I invest with mm-hmm. you? You're an irresponsible kid. Like that mentality mm. I feel like is why they're trying to brush it under the carpet quickly and get it done and resolved. And they don't want the, mm-hmm. I mean, we're in a, we're in a society right now where everything is Instagram perfect. What I was thinking uh, as during this conversation was, um, I think what's happening here that we don't always see in movies now that we used to see a lot more especially in the 70s is that everyone kind of sucks mm-hmm. <laughs> you know n- no nobody nobody does things perfectly you know no one no one's completely morally good or completely morally bad i mean leatherface you kind of get his point but then at the same time probably shouldn't be killing people with chainsaws then you get you know um Dante and the other characters are very idealistic, but they're not really practicing what they're preaching. Right. And then you've got, so, I mean, I think maybe it's kind of trying 
and maybe not entirely successfully, to tap into something of that moral ambiguity that was much more prevalent in 70s films than uh, are seem to be now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That that just just kind of occurred to me during this conversation as we've been going Thank you for saying what I was trying to say crappily. Like, I was saying it crappily. Like, I was kind of trying to get there, and I was like, I'm not doing this. Like, I'm not hitting that. But, but that's exactly, yeah. I agree. So I agree with you both that, like, the tone they're going for is that moral amb- ambiguity. And this idea yeah. that, like, we're all more similar than we are different, and everybody is terrible. I, I agree with both of you that that's what the film is going for. I just think the way that it, they deliver that message, the way that it comes across, it's, they do a very it does, They don't land it the way Martin Scorsese does. It no. lands poorly. You know, or and something again, like that. David Blue Garcia is no Martin yeah. Scorsese. Well, and I would, <laughs> I would also who, uh, argue that like, the writers of this film are both from Uruguay and have self-admittedly said they don't have a lot of experience in America. So trying to like trying to convey social commentary okay. and a political message mm-hmm. of America when you don't fully understand it because you haven't lived mm-hmm. it, I think is that makes it, it you know, muddles it a little it, bit. I think. But I'm not grading like a movie on a curve, right? But it does. No, I, no, I get that what you're saying, but, but it's it kind of that that makes a lot of sense. I I didn't I didn't know that, Sarah, because I I think. I feel like the characters are sort of created upon impressions gathered from Twitter, you know, where, where you have sort of like the extremes of what people say, but isn't necessarily how they are, you know, um, that's, I guess how it feels a little bit. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to grade them on a curve. I'm just going to, this is what they presented me with. I'm going to critique with, what they mm-hmm. presented me, and I'm not going to say, well, because you're from somewhere else, I am going to, just like, you know, we judge when when American filmmakers have inaccurate portrayals of, like, foreigners or foreign countries sure. or different cultures, they should be graded for what they present, not just, well, this must be their perception of it, and they're not from there. Um, it's kind of like the similar problem I have with Alvarez's Evil Dead in that like his portrayal of addiction and overcoming addiction, it has to be like as brutal and punishing as possible. Like the only way to overcome substance use addiction is like you literally have to lose body parts and all of your loved ones before you can come out on the other end of it. I'm like, you know, as a counselor that works with people with addiction and substance use issues, like makes for a fun movie. Definitely makes her a fun watch. Good night at the cinema. Definitely worth the 18 bucks for a ticket. But, you know, not exactly what I would say, like, yeah, it's accurate. Right. Um, I mean, but it's, you know, also when you're putting something in a movie, <laughs> you're going to make it sensational. Sure. Um, so in, in some way. Mm-hmm. Steven, what about your idea of just like how they come across? Leatherface, like here, like you don't have that. Like they're not in danger from the outset, like you are in a lot of these mm. movies. Like it's just like their bad decision making is what puts them yeah. in the crosshairs. It's I noticed it both times that I've watched this film. They they only really start to put themselves in danger, just like in the original film, when they walk into somewhere they're not supposed to be. 
Like you, you, and you get that impression in the first film too. Like, yes, you're looking at a film called the Texas chainsaw massacre. <laughs> at some point, someone's going to get massacred with a chainsaw. Okay. It's in the title. And if that is not delivered, something is going horribly wrong. But at no point do you feel they're in any immediate danger until they start walking into somewhere where they clearly don't have any business being because of some reason or other, some often invented reason why they need to be in this place. And mm-hmm. so it's the moment they walk into this, this, this house to take down this Confederate flag that will scare off the investors um, is, is the moment that they, they put themselves in, in Leatherface's mm-hmm. crosshairs, not immediately, but because of the, the subsequent interaction with Mrs. McSee or whoever, um, and the, the, the fallout from that, well, that then in, incites him back to violence. He's lost his, his tether, as it were, like his, his normalcy. And because of that, he decides, oh, I'm going to saw off her face and I'm going to just go on a wholesale killing spree yep. and create legitimately the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre film with an actual Texas Chainsaw Texas Massacre. This is the massacre. first one that delivers yeah. a massacre. Yeah. For yeah. sure. What do you all make of the idea of... Leatherface basically living a fairly unassuming life for four decades in this small town. Like people know who he is. Like when he comes down the stairs, it's obvious that like people are aware that he lives there. Mm. He's not been kept in secret. Like he has been in 3d. What do we think of like this kind of quiet, unassuming Leatherface that's then called back into, I don't think that they realize that he's Leatherface. Because, oh, yeah, I, because correct. the gas station guy clearly is talking about how Sally's been trying to look for him for mm-hmm. umpteen years. And he's just this dude. Like, and I think that adds to the sympathy of Leatherface. Like, that mm-hmm. adds for me. I I watched this movie, and I, I'm very much fuck those kids except for Lila because she's sweetheart. You know, right. y'all, y'all, like, tried to take his mom. Like, y'all killed his mama. Like, I'd be pissed, too. Like justice for ruth thank you yes Ruth is very sweet i was watching this with the subtitles and they don't even credit like when they when they give her dialogue on the screen they don't even credit her as ruth they credit her as dante's partner and i'm sitting here going like seriously justice for ruth the the, my friend i was watching with uh she's like i'm assuming that since she's listed as dante's partner she's the first one to die and i'm like very well technically her name is ruth but no you're absolutely right she's the first one to die (laughs) Brian, how about yourself? Um, well, I think I, I kind of buy it. You know, if you if this is just a sequel to the first movie, because okay, let's imagine uh, Leatherface. You know, saws his legs. He does his dance. Uh, but then, over the ensuing two years after those events, the rest of his family dies. You know, the cook um, has a heart attack. Um, the hitchhiker's already dead. Already dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's kind of on his own. Um, he, he he only really slaughtered these kids because they entered his home and he was afraid and mm-hmm. didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I can imagine him living in this place where he's protected, has no threat. He's surrounded by many, many people for most of those 40 years that he, if he's not scared or he's not angry, he's not going to lash out. Yeah. 
And that I think is what you face when you when she when the when um, his foster mother dies, mm-hmm. um, you have fear and anger mm-hmm. uh, just exploding out of him that he's uh, you know maybe kept at bay for these forty years, and so I kind of buy it. You know, it's yeah. maybe a little bit. Uh, um, it, it's. You got to suspend your disbelief on it a bit, but you know, I, I think I can I can go along with it. And what about yourself, Stephen? Um, I, yeah, I mean, I I, I get it. it. It makes sense. I mean, clearly, this is a man who's not developed coping mechanisms, which is right. I, I mean, at least not healthy ones. Um, so I, yeah, no, I mean, I think Brian Brian said it really well. Like this, you you kind of get the idea. Like this is someone who has become self isolated. And you can get the idea that, yeah, maybe he has, you know, the thing that would have attracted attention to him is the death. And if he's got a tether, if he's got a link, if he's got someone that can keep him from doing those things like this, this maternal figure clearly has, then, yeah, you, you get the, the idea that he can go relatively unnoticed as just this, just another quiet, large Texan who is as unassuming as anyone. I mean, how do how do not to make the not to necessarily make a one-to-one comparison, but, but there are killers every day who go around largely undetected because they're so unassuming because, Oh, it couldn't be that person. We know that person, that person does this and this and this, and there's no way that this individual we know, we can't equate them with these Mm -hmm. horrible atrocities. Um, And, and you can see him kind of fitting into that mold, perhaps his, his, his mental state being, uh, yet another way that people would say, well, no, it couldn't be him. He's, he's sweet. He wouldn't hurt anybody. Right. I agree with all of what you're saying, all of you there. I Actually, one of my favorite little moments is at the beginning of the movie when Lila asks Herb, the gas station owner, well, she caught him, right? And he's like, he was wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. Kind of hard to find someone when you don't know what they look like. Um, that made me chuckle. Um, ultimately these movies, the Texas Chainsaw movies work best when they're about family and this Uh idea of like Leatherface finding this new family and being taken care of. And I mean, Miss McCumber is like a very sweet, gentle woman. Um, having shout out to Alice Creed, by the way, because she was amazing in this performance. Like, loved her. The little time she had. Love her. She does she, a lot with very little always. Right. You know, you could understand how, or you could very easily see how like a leather face who spends 40 years with her would be that gentle giant. You, <coughs> excuse me. You could see where you still don't want to provoke him, but he can be kept under wraps and, you know, I would say the other members of the community probably avoid him, but they also don't antagonize him. Mm-hmm. And once again, what is it that sets him off on a killing spree? It is the threats to his family and to his family home by outside strangers and outside forces. Even after he kills the sheriff, the deputy, and Ruth, when he goes back to his home, what sets him off is seeing that busload of people show up. Mm-hmm. And then you see how angry he reacts at that point. And that's, he's like, got to defend my turf at that point. Yep. 
So speaking of defending our turf and violence, let's talk about two of the better sequences in this movie. Um, let's talk about that ambulance scene, which I think has oh, yeah. a fantastic fucking kill in it. And again, that I first think kill that, is yeah. incredible. So brutal. I, yeah. My argue, only argument is like, I think that the kills in this movie mask some of the questions I've raised about it because it's sure. they're really fun. But, mm-hmm. but I do think that it's a great reintroduction of the character and it sets up like, you know, he's obviously supposed to be out 70 in this movie. Um, he, that, but I think, you know, there is grandpa strength. So you can definitely... Hey. See where he he moves really well for a bit. My husband and He's... I audibly cheered when we watched this for the first time together mm-hmm. during that kill. Both of us just were like, "Yes!" Mm-hmm. And we we were very excited about that kill. Yeah. That was not my reaction, but <laughs> mine was more like, "Ah!" Yeah, just... mine too. It was like, but I thought it was inc- it was really creative, mm-hmm. if nothing else. I mean, right. to just break the guy's wrist and. You know, jam it in his throat. The bones. To, yeah. yeah, I mean, come on. That was I had never seen anything like that, and I thought, all right. And we have some practical effects going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and Fede Alvarez special, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And so it was just, and the brutality of it. It's sort of like uh, Leatherface's back, baby. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just really. Um, yeah, it, it it's shocking and it just kind of grabs you yeah. from that moment. So. It, and it's not just the brutality of that right. moment, but how it carries over like the the scene that is mostly played out through the rear view mirror where Ruth is like looking at what is going on behind her. And she has like the dead or the nearly dead cop next to her mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. she's trying to call for help Um it's incredibly tense. It's incredibly well shot. The angles they choose set it up really well. Like it's a fantastic, yeah. scary and unnerving <clears throat> sequence. Do you know, it reminds me a little bit of the police car uh, scene in Scream Two. You know, sure. Where they're, where they're crawling out through the back and over Ghostface. It reminded mm-hmm. me of you know just it's it's like they took a little bit of that Wes Craven flair to, sure. to pull that off. The suspense of it is really effective. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, obscuring just enough so you're thinking there's something behind her, there's something mm-hmm. behind her, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that's, yeah. it's it's amazing that those sort of Hitchcock techniques still work as well yeah. as they do. Oh, yeah. I mean, film language just always works. The, the teaser for this movie that I saw was literally just a, a portion of this scene just lifted wholesale and just put on YouTube with like the little Netflix and the title tag at the end. But it was, I think it was the moment right before the, the reveal of, of Leatherface and the mask, like when she turns mm-hmm. around and he's just standing there. Yeah, um, right. Like it's, it's just like all of those moments um, that lead up to that. And it, it, even as a teaser, it seemed so incredibly tense. And it was the thing that made me go, I need to see this. Like, I'm excited to see this because that was so, it was well shot. It was well um well photographed, well um, coordinated. I, I the word uh, choreographed Locked. is the word I keep wanting to yeah. say, but like it, it's everything set up really well and and it looks fantastic. And the and the tension it does, it ratchets it up. I mean the score not so much, but 
you know, all the, all the filmmaking tricks and, and the, the things that are used within the camera to, to make that happen, I think are really effective and work really well. And the entire scene just continues to build to that moment beautifully, absolutely beautifully. And um, yeah, it's, it's one of the better scenes in the movie for sure, without a question. I think the other standout sequence in this movie, and again, it was one of the teasers, it's absolutely ridiculous. And <laughs> it's probably why including this scene in the movie is why I really like this. It is so over the top and so goofy and so silly. But when Leatherface gets on the party bus mm-hmm. and everyone's immediate reaction, like they it's all the raise their phones yeah. all at once. And you have a line to me, this line is much more egregious than do your um, thing. Cause like <laughs> when the dude looks at him and is like, try anything and you're canceled, bro. Like, and again, portrayal and of certain archetypes in this movie like that is such a horrible line but it works for the kind of movie this is Mm -hmm, and to your point steven you get a good old-fashioned texas style massacre like what everybody has really wanted since the first movie just leatherface with that chainsaw carving up some meat while everybody (laughs) screams and slides around um yeah it's so bananas. The, scene, the part of it. that scene where he takes the leg and just like throws it over his shoulder. Mm-hmm. I it love back. it. I'm just like, sh- you know, golf clap, mm-hmm. chef kiss. I'm like, no you, notes. You go. Cause like, mm-hmm. I am all about, I way to do your thing. I am team right. leather face 100% before this, but that leg toss, mm-hmm. I was like, it's right. It's my <laughs> again, boy. All the, <laughs> All the comments, like the live stream yes. comments, yeah, like adds fake. to the humor. This like this is, yeah, is so fake. David yeah. Blue, where I want to get in, yeah. David Blue Garcia is one of them, and it says, "Who is this clown?" Mm-hmm. And I was nice. like, "I love that." I was watching this with with a friend of mine, and this is the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre film she's ever seen. Oh dang! And she watched it with me just because I was like, "I need to watch this for this podcast." You want you want in? And she's like, "Yeah, I guess sure." So we, we sat we sat down, we were watching it together, and I was like, yeah, so this is the the only Chainsaw Massacre in the entire franchise. And she goes, okay, that raises a lot of questions. And I was like, ask away. I'd be, I'd be happy to answer any of them. But it basically boils down to, yeah, there's a chainsaw, and there's at least one kill in every movie with a chainsaw, with I think the exception of four, when there are no Chainsaw Massacres right. in that movie. But like this is the first one where it's, there's the, the promise of the title is delivered. There is a legitimate massacre of people with a chainsaw mm-hmm. and it lives up to the expectation. Like even that final kill as that woman is, as Charlotte is trying to, to climb out of the window and he just walks up and just saws her in half saws as her in easy half. as you please. And her, the, her, her torso just falls and you get the entrails kind of over the window. Like it's those little kind of visceral touches. And the whole time my friend's just sitting there going, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my god! And I'm like, do we need to like pause? You need to take. It? She's like, no. It's oh my god! Like it's just one thing after another, and the hits mm-hmm. just keep on coming. Yeah. But I, I love the fact that it's punctuated by those those live stream comments. Like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna totally indict this guy. Um, I, honestly, I, if Leatherface wasn't canceled after nineteen after 1973, is Le- can Leatherface be canceled at this point? Um, but I don't know that. <laughs> Yeah, just just the the humor of those little comments rolling through as just literally chaos and death is unfolding is I would 
I think more of an indictment of the culture than anything in this movie. I would love to talk to people whose introduction to this franchise is this movie, like your friend. Like, because, like, mm. I think of movies that, like, I saw as a kid where I got introduced to, like, say, Freddy Krueger through Wes Craven's New Nightmare. So, like, I mm-hmm. came in really at the tail end of those movies yeah. and then went back much later and rewatched everything. Like, I'm curious how this movie hits for new horror fans who may not have seen anything else Texas Chainsaw. My first Texas Chainsaw mm-hmm. movie was the remake. Mm. And so. I I will be the like I love the original now, but when I yeah. first saw the original after seeing the remake, I didn't like it as much at that time. Like it has taken me a long time to grow into my love of this franchise. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious how this movie works for for first time watchers versus the like experienced Texas Chainsaw fan. Her experience with it was very similar to my own. Um, okay. It, so and it's not that she's she's not necessarily a new horror fan it's just this franchise has just been a blind spot got for, it for her so yeah um it, it's not one that she's she's visited before whereas i i caught this one for the first time just a couple of, the first one for a couple of years ago uh for the first time and have kind of steadily started watching more and more and then just did the full franchise rewatch this year because what the hell um but yeah i think she and i had kind of similar takeaways and our our rankings at the end of the day were were exactly the same so yeah she she was like mid to leaning toward dislike as as I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think this is one of the scenes like this and another moment in the movie is why I give this like a positive score, and we'll talk about that okay. in a little bit. I think the only downside to this scene is the score. Uh, I think Colin Stetson's score in this movie is a huge misstep. It is so self serious. You have all those like bwangs, and it's like those like deep bass notes and it's trying to make every every moment feel like over the top iconic and Mm -hmm. what you have is like a fairly silly and fun b movie with like what you said brian like nobody in this movie is likable you really can't wait for everybody to get killed off in this movie with the exception of like maybe like lily you know like she's the one character who's kind of like pushed or lila like she's the one character that's like pushed around a lot um, and Miss McSee, who also, you know, you feel a fair amount of sympathy for. Um, but other than that, like, it's like, what a bunch of fucking jamokes. Um, and on that note, here is for when people say they really, really have a visceral hatred of this movie. For the folks that do, it's the portrayal of Sally yeah. in this movie and what this movie does to her oh, that gosh. is such a turnoff. And I would say, like, the actress who portrays Sally Hardesty in this movie, uh, Owen Fiore, mm-hmm. uh, who is in Mandy and a number of other films, like, she has a very thankless task in this movie. She's asked she to step in the role. Like, imagine if, like, Jamie Lee Curtis, for whatever reason, couldn't reappear as Laurie Strode and. They just recast her at that point. Um, although, obviously, Jamie Lee Curtis is a bigger name and much more storied career. And mm-hmm. I think Laurie carries a lot more weight in the Halloween franchise, but it would be a lesser version of that. You know, Marilyn Burns had passed away uh, and could obviously could not reprise the role. The only reason Sally is in this movie is, again, we want to be, as much as we can, 
2018's Halloween. Exactly. And what they do to her is so gross. They literally have her body of like really the first final girl, the first real final girl in horror. Mm-hmm. This someone who like I love Marilyn Burns's performance as Sally because mm-hmm. that woman is just athletic. Like that woman can run. She's yep. jumping through windows. She's fending off hammer blows. Like she puts in a good marathon in those woods, going back and forth. And I think also the probably the greatest scream in movies since Fay Ray. I mean that mm-hmm. good. It's just yeah. incredible to have her. Just unceremoniously, unceremoniously thrown onto a pile of garbage bags. Right, is a very deliberate statement. It, it, I'm I sorry, you can do, yeah. you can make any choice you want, and your choice is to throw her onto sacks of garbage. Like I think that Sally's treatment in this is directly in response to being anti Laurie Strode, because. Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies, never do the final girls come back. Never. It is not in any of the movies does a final girl from the previous film come back. And there is the line where she's like, don't you remember Franklin and everybody else? Don't you remember me? And he just walks past her. He, She's not a big deal. And I think they were trying to make a point of that. And... I can't speak to Fidi Alvarez's past movies in his, cause I've never really paid attention. I don't like evil dead remake. I've seen it like once, like it's not my thing, but I think the point here was really that Sally's not the point of the exercise. And unlike Laurie Strode, he's saying they're saying who cares? Like final girls have never been a thing in Texas chainsaw past the movie they're in. Like they never come back. And in fact, in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the beginning, they kill the final girl. Right. So, like, I think, like, that's kind of, at least how I took it, that was what they were, that was the point of the exercise. Then I, I want to come back to that, but I want to hear, like, Brian and Stephen weigh in first. My, my, my question would just be, then, why include it at all? Yeah. Like, I, I, honestly, I think this is, there's a part of me that says this is a better movie if Sally's just not a part of it. I yeah. don't disagree oh, yeah. with that. Like, 100%. Like, again, I see what he was maybe trying to do. I don't think it's a good execution. Mm-hmm. I think... Right, no. And Like, I don't, I don't think Sally was necessary in this, but I'm also of the mindset that I could watch Scream 2022 and say not one of those legacy characters needed to be there. Well, and that's the requel problem, is by and large, it's... It's it's an exercise in fan service, which is something that mm-hmm. I in, personally I am very much against. Even as a fan of certain things or as someone who enjoys certain things, I don't want to be pandered to. I'm a grown ass man. Treat me like a grown ass man. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't need a, a five minute hero shot of a, you know, of a of a proton pack in a Ghostbusters movie to know that I'm watching a Ghostbusters movie. You know, I don't need I don't need Sally Hardesty to come back to know that I'm watching a Texas Chainsaw movie. You've got a killer in a human skin mask with a chainsaw in his hand. That's all I need. I agree. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't need I don't need the fan service. I don't need to be pandered to. That's not who I am. No, I understand that there are some fans out there who only want fan service. I only want to be pandered to. I only want to be made to feel special for liking the things that I like. But I don't think this works for anybody. Like, this doesn't work for the fans that want to be pandered to because... 
Sally, I mean, she gets she gets a badass fight scene with Leatherface, but then she gets chucked into garbage and dies on in garbage. Like, and then it doesn't work for, you know, the people like me because it still feels like, well, well, we did our part. We trotted out, you know, the oldster and, and, and let him, even though it's not the real oldster, we, we, you know, we trotted her out and, and, and she's here. Aren't you happy? Like who, this is not for anybody. This, yeah. this is merely just an opportunity to try to have your cake and eat it too. And ultimately your cake goes bad in the fridge. This is, this is why, as much as I like this movie, for me, it's like a three and a half out of a five because they do some cool things they don't execute them right. And I think, I think Sally was fan service that nobody needed. You want good, you want good Marilyn Burns fan service, go watch Texas Chainsaw 3D. Like that fan service, I think was far superior. They actually got Marilyn Burns back into a chainsaw movie. And I think it Mm. was just a better execution overall. She wasn't Sally, but I think it was a better execution of getting that fan service that we want to see of, getting her back into a movie. Brian, how about yourself? I I don't think I really have anything more to add than what was already said, to be honest, because I think I just, that's the thing that bothers me most about the movie is just that Sally is sort of introduced for, you know, a few minutes here and there, and there's not much purpose other than the fan service and just sort of padding mm-hmm. out the runtime a little bit. That's all yeah. it feels like. I, it just I think it was and it's already a really Steven short movie. I'm with, you know. I'm with Steven on this one and that like, yeah, you didn't need to intrigue. If, if the point they're trying to make is like, well, the final girl in this series is important, which I'd argue like this series has some of the better. I know that you don't come back again, but you have, I think some of the more interesting final girls in this, whether it's Renee Zelliger in part four, whether it's Stretch in part two, whether it's Sally in part one, whether it's Alexandra Daddario in Texas Chainsaw 3D, like they're more unique. They don't all come from the same cloth or the same mold over on. Yes, you don't get them to return. Like this series is at its most interesting when it focuses on the family. But if your point was, well, the final girl is incidental to this series, you certainly the only reason you bring Sally back in this and you give her literally the same arc minus Laurie not getting thrown in a pile of garbage. Um, they have the same moment like, oh, this person who has caused the last 50 years of my life to be a living hell, who's essentially robbed me of my life because I've fixated on this one thing. He has no idea who I am. He couldn't pick me up out of a lineup if I gave him a box of clues. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing that Lori goes through in 2018's Halloween. Same exact thing. Except now what you're doing is you're taking this character that means a lot to a lot of people. And you're like, we're going to literally, if you want to kill her off, that's fine. Totally no problem with that. If that's the end of her road, that's fine. But to like dump her on a pile of garbage is like, it's insulting. It's gr- it's it gross. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you can. And I'm not saying you are Sarah. I don't know if anyone out there can make the case like, oh, throwing Sally. On, and again, no issue with the performance. It's a thankless task. Like, I don't think anyone would want that chore. But I don't know anyone who can make an argument like throwing her onto a pile of garbage is a really good creative idea that works. Maybe they should have thrown in a callback to Mandy and have given her a giant chainsaw and she fights him with that, you know, or something. That would have been way too close to two for me. 
I, that would have been that would have been way teasing, too close to two. It would have made mm-hmm. me enjoy this more, honestly. Well, right. but but what I what I mean is just give her a fighting chance in this. Yes, right. because I mean she shows up and it's sort of like every other character mm-hmm. that shows up to be the hero. Mm-hmm. When Richter shows up to be the hero, he immediately gets killed. Mm-hmm. When Dante shows up to be the hero, immediately killed. When Sally shows up to be the hero, immediately killed. I mean, mm-hmm. there's just like there's there's like okay, we we get it. I mean, this is this is one of those jokes. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Feast, but you have Josh Demel, you know, obviously coming in to save the day, and he gets killed like immediately, and that's sort of the joke. Right. Well, now it's not funny anymore. It's like mm-hmm. we get the point. We've seen it. You know, it's you- it's it's just doesn't work for me to have um, your hero come in to save the day. And have them just be wiped out like this, and especially when it's someone like Sally. Exactly. When it's a legacy character, it almost makes it worse. You only have her come back, so in your marketing of this movie, you can say Sally Hardesty is back. Like it's obvious. It's cynic. It's like movie making cynicism at its near worst, Mm. um, because you obviously don't care. But what I find oddest about that marketing technique is Sally has not been in any other Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Like, I get it for Halloween because Laurie Strode has been in several. Like, majority of the franchise she's been in. But this one, like, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like, where was the fan service that, like, who, like... But then you can argue for the first time in, like, 40 years, this character returns, where with, like... Even with like Jamie Lee Curtis coming back, you can say, "Oh, you mean like in H two O, like mm-hmm. that one?" Like it's, I get where it makes sense for the latest update, but I can see where it's a bigger deal. Like, oh, this character is returning because they haven't been in all the movies, so you're kind of like scratching an itch that hasn't been scratched yet. We're going a bit long, so I just kind of want to push forward a bit. I apologize if I'm cutting anyone off here. I've kind of said what I want to about Melody. I think she's... So the last thing I have really is let's talk about the last scene in this movie because I think this is where they're, where Steven and I might debate because I, I am on the record. Melody is the worst goddamn character in this franchise. Like, I... Hundo. I can understand... Like, I, I, I'm obviously not Team Franklin, but I've, I can understand why he's so angry and childish and pissed off like poor dude like is just trying to take a leak at the start of the movie and he gets like rolled down a hill in his own piss like okay i'm gonna be a bit cranky you know he thinks he makes a new buddy in the hitchhiker and he gets stabbed in the hand right he's left behind while his friends are running around the house and swimming like yeah i'm gonna be ticked off at that point melody is just like the worst so let's talk about that last scene Steven, why does this not work for you? For me, and again, and I I alluded to this earlier, like I feel like Melody is in the midst. And and again, this is my read on the film. This is how this is how I've um, how I've made sense of it. It feels like she's on a redemption arc in a a way. Um, It's very clear that there is a legitimate love for her sister there uh, and, and wanting to protect her. The scene that they have in the car. Uh, after the crash, when she's trying to dislodge the the, the rod from when Lila's trying to dislodge dislodge the rod from Melody's leg, and Leatherface is coming, and she says, "Look, he's going to kill me now. You have to go. You need to save yourself. You're stronger than I am. 
when nothing in the film to this point has demonstrated that to that degree, I get a little misty watching that scene. Um, like I, there's, there's that, that, that's a, that's a very effective scene. And I, up to this point, Melody has been our point of view character with the exception of maybe the last 15 to 20 minutes of the movie where Lila becomes our perspective character. Um, and so you get this, this moment as, as they ride off together, that this is kind of the birth of a new era in their relationship where they, they're able to come to a new understanding where Melody is able to receive, despite being a really shitty person, perhaps able to redeem herself. And then apropos of absolutely nothing, the car window breaks, she's yanked from the car and her head is immediately severed from her body. And surprise, fuck you audience, Leatherface has been the hero of this movie all along and fuck you for thinking that anything could change and people can change and how dare you and let's dance in the streets and the credits roll. Like it's the kind of ending that in any other movie would probably be like a, a like a cheap dream sequence jump scare. Mm-hmm. But no, the credits roll. Like this is the actual ending of the movie. Mm-hmm. And it feels like a complete undercut to what could have and potentially should have been a really great character moment for uh, or a really great closure to Melody's character arc. Because again, she's one of two actual characters in this movie, I would argue, her and Lila. Mm-hmm. So it, it just it feels very cheap. It feels like like shock for its own sake. Um and I I, I don't know. It, it 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 took this movie down a whole star for me in my, in my rating. Like I just, I was very mid on this movie as I was watching it, but leaning more positive. And then that final shot just knocked the wind out of me and not in the kind of way that I enjoyed. Like sometimes of the final shot of a movie, like I just watched insidious for the first time recently. And the, the last moments of that movie knocked the wind out of me in a way that made me go, Holy shit. That was incredible. Versus this, which knocks the wind out of me in a way that's just like, well, it, it makes me feel like a nihilist. Like, what the fuck's the point of this thing then? Like, if that's the way you end this movie, why the hell did I just watch it? Mm-hmm. But, but again, that's that's me. Obviously, I think I'm probably the only one to hold that opinion here. So I, I'm anxious to hear your guys' thoughts on it. My reaction was to laugh. I'm sorry. The first time I saw it, I thought it was really, really funny. And I, I, I like the darkest, sickest joke at the end of the movie is how I felt. And it sounds like it was a dark, sick joke to you too, Stephen. Uh, just, just not, not when I found in, funny, you know, in a way that was funny at all. Yeah. In, and, in fairness, Brian, and I think yeah. I told you this yesterday when we were chatting, uh, I think after the record, that was my reaction when Mrs. Voorhees gets her head cut off at the end of the original Friday the 13th <laughs> right, yeah. was to laugh. So, so it's not that I'm, I'm, a, I'm morally opposed to decapitation. It's just that this one felt especially <laughs> in cheap right. in movies, in movies. Let's, yeah. <laughs> As with cannibalism, I'm, I'm not opposed to decapitation in film. Right. I kind of like that. She doesn't get redemption because I don't think everybody in life gets redemption. Like you can, mm-hmm. if you fuck up, sometimes you can have your redemption arc and sometimes you fucked up and you have to kind of answer for that. And I think she had to answer, like you don't get away from Leatherface. Like it's just like one person gets away from Leatherface. Like that's how this is. We, we kind of expect that in a, in a Texas Chainsaw movie. And I think this was a callback to Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning, even if they're not trying to acknowledge those movies, because um, Jordana Brewster's character, you think she's getting away and she dies. Like, so I think that this kind of was like 
a little bit of a callback to that and a little bit of a, I hate to say a fan service to that, but I think it a little bit was. So I'm with you, Sarah, and I don't think every character deserves a redemption arc. And I certainly didn't think Melody deserved a redemption arc. And what really, like, if the movie ended before her decapitation, like if it's just them driving home to Austin in their autopilot Tesla, I would have hated this movie. Agreed. Because, like, right before that, like, you get the shot of, like, Melody gets, like, the Ripley hero pose. Like, she steps in front of Lila and takes the chainsaw, and she has this, like, badass look on her face. And, by the way, like, no shots fired at Sarah Yarkin, who I think does a wonderful job of creating a character I don't like. Like, her performance is excellent. No shots at her whatsoever. No, I think she does, yeah. she does fantastic in right. this. Absolutely. Um, and then she like takes the chainsaw and uppercuts Leatherface, and I'm like, if this is how Leatherface goes out, <laughs> I'm gonna be so fucking angry. So to and I don't think this shot is like a callback to the beginning. This is a callback to the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1972, mm-hmm. because you have like I laughed like the three funniest endings to a movie ever: Caddyshack with Roddy Dangerfield saying, "Hey everybody, we're all gonna get laid." St. Maud and 2022's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I laughed so hard that tears were coming out of my eyes. Because, like, to pull her out and then immediately, playtime is over, cut off her head, and you have Lila through the sunroof as the car slowly drives away (laughs) and she can't do anything about it. And it's just like Sally in the back of the pickup truck. At the end of the first movie, except instead of like this cry of like this scream of like, I can't believe I got away. You have these harrowing cries because her sister's been decapitated. And then you have like again. Mike, has anyone le- told you you're kind of a sick fuck? Yes. Leather- <laughs> many times. And then you have like Leatherface like swinging the chainsaw in the sunlight. And again, yeah. I said at the end of the first movie. It's like when he's swinging and dancing, it's partly a celebration because all the intruders have gone away, but it's also frustration because he didn't get all of them. Mm-hmm. Here, it's pure triumph. I And I to me, like, it is a really cynical as fuck ending. Like, it is a very nihilistic ending. I usually don't like nihilistic endings, but because if you did the same thing to Lila, I wouldn't like this scene as much because it was Melody. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Who I ha- had such a strong react negative reaction to. I'm like, A plus, you, you know, David Blue Garcia, you've redeemed yourself. I nominate this for all the awards. Like, this <laughs> might make my top, like, as hard as I've been on this movie, this might make my top 10 for the year. Wow. And it's been a great year for horror movies just for the ending of this movie. It was a get em cuz moment. It was a total get him cuz moment, and and he did get yep. him, and the cuzzes were indeed gotten, um, <laughs> and I can get why someone would hate that moment, but it might make my top ten by the skin of its teeth, just based on that one. It's just such a good kill. It's so good. Like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is never supposed to have a truly quote unquote happy ending, right? 
and this time, like, it didn't. And I, I don't usually like the nihilistic, like, dark endings either, where, like, the killer gets away with it, and, like, that's never really my jam. But for Leatherface, I'm, I'm like, you got him. Get those, yeah. get those meddling kids, like. I have had so much fun talking about this franchise. Like, even when all the movies aren't bangers, the discussions about the movies have been an absolute blast. And I, I thank all of our panelists and guests for that because they're, like this series takes so many wild swings and it tries to do so much and it doesn't always work and it's messy as fuck. But my God, what a blast to talk about. And I hope, I know we're going to get more of them. I know we're going to return to this series at some point. But before that happens, Sarah, yes. tell us about Final Girls Feast and Geeks Two Geeks Who Eat. Well, I run a podcast called Final Girls Feast with my co-host Carrie, and we talk about food and horror movies, and we talk about you know food-centric gastro horror, as I've now dubbed it. But we also talk about like the food in Scream, and there's a ton of Snapple in Scream and chips. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure Frito Lay sponsored that movie. Um, but um, we do that. And then with my husband, I run Geeks Who Eat. Uh, we've been doing it forever now. I feel like it's so long. Um, and we create mm-hmm. recipes for, um, you know, movies and such. And we like to cook. So it's kind of our jam. Excellent. I feel, and I, I put this in my notes, I feel like I missed a real marketing opportunity to not have you do like five minutes at the end of every Texas Chainsaw episode we did to just give us like a recipe you would pair with that movie. So what would you pair with 2022's Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Ooh, I would... You get that shot of the brisket in the barbecue. I mean, I did do an all-the-meat sliders for Leatherface where I literally mm-hmm. did sliders that had pulled pork, brisket, and sausage. They Ooh. were so good. Oh, yeah. And I took photos with my hand covered in barbecue sauce for them and made little little mm-hmm. hooks out of wire for the, the garnish, mm-hmm. and they were really cool. I've also done Texas Chainsaw Bloody Maryland's. So, <laughs> so like, I mean, this... I feel like these movies just lend themselves to any sort of... Bloody yeah. Maryland, Bloody Mary, you know, mm-hmm. barbecue. I I would always eat barbecue, but I would maybe do like avocado toast with brisket. Okay, like, I think that Ooh, would. I like that. I think okay. that would be Good like choice. some you know burnt ends and a little bit yeah. of avocado on some schmancy bread. I think I think you've with got a, a winner there. Wash it down with a double chai, double soy chai latte with some pumpkin spice. Yeah. I think. You got yourself a good pairing. <laughs> I think maybe when we eventually do like the Human Centipede franchise, we'll have you do your food taste no. for that trilogy. I, I won't okay. watch. The, I've seen the first one, and I started the second one, Same. and I turned it off after five minutes. I was like, yeah. I can't do it. Nope, I'm out. Yeah, Mike, out. You're, you're you're willing to consider Human Centipede, but not Hellraiser. Three movies versus how many? I would still argue that Hellraiser is less painful. You get a great first movie, two, a good second, a good third. I'm sure the next, the new one is it's getting like it's excellent beautiful. reviews. 
But so it's like getting excellent bread and then putting diarrhea in between those two slices <laughs> of bread. So anyway, Brian, I'm not going to say. Speaking of diarrhea, <laughs> I will end that part. <laughs> Thank you. You're not going to say what you just said. You're not going to say that. Classic. I'm not going to say the words that just came out of my mouth. Right. Uh, I will edit that out, future Mike. (laughs) Brian, what's going on with the wonderful Movies for Life podcast? Uh, Well, we are bringing in the spooky season, as most are, but we're doing a little different. Uh, We did uh, our episode on Red Eye. Uh, but just we like to visit Wes Craven. We were going to talk about a Wes Craven movie. That's so not I on know, brand. Just not like us at all. How many um, times has he referenced Craven in this podcast? Only once. Yeah, once. So yeah. Um, but uh, I. Uh, so we talked about Red Eye. We were going to talk about My Soul to Take, but we just couldn't bring ourselves to do it. Really, uh, sorry. Um, but. Anyway, that was a good episode, though. And then uh, we uh, bring on one of our Friends Forever favorites uh, for with Anthony King talking about The Burbs. Uh, that'll be dropping this next week. And then um, for after that, we're going to be doing... Um, it's, it's the Halloween season, that spooky feeling episode is what we're calling it. Um, and it's non-horror movies that have... Uh, the Halloween vibe to him. So we're doing Ooh. Practical Magic and E.T., the extraterrestrial. Excellent. Nice. So that Excellent. was a really, really fun conversation. Um, we've got other stuff coming up uh, that'll be fun. We've got some horror stuff actually coming up. We're going to do a couple of underappreciated sequels, mm-hmm. and then we're going to do a couple of Christmas horror movies this year. Great. Um, af- after doing really nice uh, Christmas movies last year, we're doing Christmas Evil and something else this year. So Wonderful. <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be a lot of fun fun um and then where can folks find you on the socials uh yeah you can um uh, real quick i want to mention a couple of articles i got uh, i should be having a, a something oh hitting. let's do this and let's so what do you have what, what do you have cooking up writing wise right now uh yeah real quick i've got um i've got a piece on Fay ray that should be dropping at some point um i'm working on uh, another tribute coming up uh for my favorite actor of all time if you know my show you know who that is um and then let's see here um i got a piece coming out on the history of frankenstein movies uh uh, to manor vellum um that's going to be a whole series because that's a big subject and then i've got um another move another piece that i think is a lot of fun called halloween movies for scaredy cats so movies that um aren't necessarily horror movies that you can get in the halloween spirit with with the people in your life who don't necessarily love horror and that'll become so like a hubie disgusting. halloween hubie halloween is on there have you seen have yeah. you seen my letterbox list of gateway horror titles or gateway spooky titles it's got over 400 yeah. entries including feature length and shorts Fun. That's not a gateway. That's a castle. Yeah, mm-hmm. no kidding. I picked twelve. <laughs> so I mean, we, so I. I well, uh, you're not going to pick this a, a two-year-long series, Brian. No, no. Pick I, up the I slack. Think, I, pick I up think, the slack. I, it, Brian, it ended up. On. It ended up being uh, long enough as at that. There so you go. Um, Fair anyway, but that was a lot of fun to write. So I'm always looking. I've always Great. enjoying that. So I got stuff hitting bloody disgusting uh, fairly regularly in Manorvella monthly, um, and then um, you can find me on the socials at Brian Waves for. Uh, you can find the Movies for Life podcast at Movie Life Pod on Twitter. 
Wonderful. Steven, what's going on with Disenfranchised? Uh, we are in the midst of our third annual Spookython, which is where we, uh, of course, disenfranchised. If you've listened to an episode I've been on before, we talk about uh, movies that should have been franchises but weren't for one reason or another or could have been franchises but weren't for one reason or another. Uh, and so uh, last week, as of the recording of this episode, our episode on Eve, uh, Event Horizon came out. Uh which is one of my co-hosts all-time favorite horror movies. Mm-hmm. So that was that discussion was a lot of fun. Uh, and then just recorded last night and coming out uh, very shortly, uh, either already out or coming out shortly, uh, we sat down with the great Mr. Brian Kuyper and the great uh, Michelle Egan, and we talked about Bubba Hotep. Um, and we've got some really fun titles coming the rest of the month. I don't want to spoil anything just in case scheduling doesn't work out. I don't want to yeah. jinx anything, but we've got some other great horror movies with some really great guests coming up uh, later this month as well. So uh, check us out. I'm on socials, uh, Twitter, Instagram, letterboxed at Chewy Walrus, and you can catch Disenfranchise pretty much everywhere at DisenfranchPod. Excellent. Thank you, Stephen. For us, uh, you can follow us over on Twitter at Pod and Pendulum. I'm trying to be a little bit more active on that account as of late. I could still do still do more there. Um, and you can also follow me at Mike underscore Snoonian. You can follow my other show, Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, everywhere you get your podcast. This month we're doing Childhood Fears and covering It Chapter 1 and It Chapter 2. Please, if you enjoyed this show, rate, review, and subscribe to us. Got a couple nice reviews this week. We're now sitting at 98. Someone just left us a five-star review saying that we are the we have been goated, which is excellent. With the um, sauce or without the sauce? I don't know. I don't know about sauce. <laughs> just that we're the greatest of all time, basically. Okay. Um, so we do appreciate we do appreciate that. So I'd love to get over a hundred reviews. That would mean a lot. Um, we have some really fun stuff coming up. So now that this one is in the bag, we are going to return to Haddonfield. We're going to cover Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. So we are going to return to Haddonfield and cover Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends with our next couple episodes. The next big franchise we're going to do is going to be Phantasm. So that is going to be a really fun one. It's definitely, I've seen part one and part two, and that's it. That's all I've seen either, yeah. Yeah, I think for a lot of just folks, part one for me. just part one here, right? too. Yeah. yeah. So I want to get some research done. I've ordered a couple books, Coscarelli's book on independent filmmaking. There's the Phantasm copy, uh, copyendum by Dustin McNeil, who if you've read um, Taking Shape Parts 1 and 2, you know how what a great writer he is at diving into the minutia of a franchise in a really interesting way. So before I feel comfortable recording on Phantasm, we'll probably take a quick detour to like a two-movie franchise. And I'm thinking it's going to be Orphan and Orphan First Kills. Because I think that, the, you know, I was thinking Pearl and X, but we have at least one more movie coming out for that. And it would be fun to do something like Orphan where we have a new movie this year for it, which I th- is a movie I think was going to make my top ten because that is a batshit movie. So we have some really fun stuff coming up here in the show. Um, 
We hope you've enjoyed this. I can't believe we went over two hours talking about this one. I can. This would be a this would be a tight ninety. This would be one where we like get in and out of here in ninety minutes, and maybe we'll have to stretch it to ninety. It's almost like you know getting ver- four verbose people on a podcast together yeah. is a recipe for a long episode. I don't True. know. Call me I, crazy. I feel like you should have but, known with me being on this episode that it was never going to yeah. just be ninety minutes. <laughs> but I hope everyone's enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed our Texas Chainsaw coverage. I'm not going to... Just to toot our own horn, I think we kind of knocked it out of the park. Um, and that is it. We'll be back very shortly with more episodes. Take care, listeners. We are out. Thanks for listening.